بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We were going through the ten principles the ten fundamental principles as the author said of after mentioning the ten stages of the nafs he said these are the usul al-tariq, these are the ten principles of the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first one was the tawbah to purify oneself. And the second one uh, which was shukr and to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what he's already given us. And that's essentially a very good way to do that because when you do shukr Allah gives you more. So when we're already doing shukr of whatever Allah has already given us in terms of um, the blessings he's already given us, the iman that he's given us and everything else then inshallah we can hope for more. So that's as a step that we get uh, um, higher up inshallah. Number three was sabr and patience because um, now things are gonna start getting difficult. So this is a very logical way that we're doing this because firstly, we're trying to take off any baggage that we have of sins and any burden we're trying to shed that load. So we are not weighed down by any kind of baggage for no reason, number one. Then we do shukr for whatever we already have. I mean, just having iman and being in this world and uh, having the faith that Allah has given us, that's a massive deal, isn't it? So that's what we do next. Then number three, what we do is uh, we now have to inculcate patience because now the going is going to get tough. Or it could get tough. So it's all about patience afterwards to realize that we can't be just like anybody else and everybody else. If there's somebody who doesn't care about anything and who literally does as they please and they do whatever they want in this life, no holes bar, you know, there, there's, no, there, there, there's no bars for them. Maybe they just follow the law of the land and that's about it. Then as Muslims, there's always a law that we have that is going to, uh, we're going to have to abide by, which is the law of Islam. And for that, you need sabr and patience. That's why it's a massive deal to inculcate sabr and patience. You can't do without that today. Right? So that's why now you can see how this is going on, that we need the sabr and patience. Um, then number four is ar-radha bil qadai wal qadr. Right? So it's satisfaction with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His preordaining whatever He has done for us. And I think one of the biggest benefits of that is that whatever is, has happened for us in the past, like maybe things have gone wrong or they didn't go as right as we would like to. Sometimes things may have not gone wrong, but we look at others who, are, who, are, who were our classmates when we were in junior school together, right? You know, when we were 7, 10, or maybe they were our neighbor. And today we look at them, they're somewhere else where we think we should be. So while we may not think that things have actually gone wrong for us, but we don't think they've gone as well for us. But then when you focus on Al-Qadha Wal-Qadr, that everything is predestined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and whatever's past, we know that was predestined. Whatever's in the future, we don't know. Because it hasn't happened yet, and we don't know. Nobody, you know, you can't log in and find out what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? It just doesn't work that way. Right? <coughs> but whatever has happened, we know. So at least for that, we can say, oh, okay. Well, that's what Allah wanted from us. So that's what He wanted from us. That's what happened. 
So there's no point crying over that now. But we don't want to make mistakes in the future. That's the main thing. So that's why qada bil qadr. Number five then is once we've gotten ourselves in order and we get serious about this and we want something to come out from this, then it helps for the most part, which is number five, which we'll come to. It helps for the most part that uh, we find somebody to guide us. That's why he calls that ittiba'ul murshidil kamil. You have to find somebody accomplished to hold our hand and take us along. Right? And I, I think one of the basic reasons for that is very simple. Most people, majority of people don't have discipline. In terms of a routine, in terms of doing only what's to their benefit. We all mess up, right? We all, all of us are such that we would like to do something which uh, we, we would like to do uh, lots of things which we find it difficult to actually do. Meaning, we would all love to be uh, people who perform tahajjud prayer, no? We would all love to be those people who never even think of sin. But it's difficult to do that. Regular on their prayer. Right? Uh, this much charity. You know, all the good things that we'd like to do, it's just difficult to do it and set yourself on to doing it. So sometimes somebody needs to hold our hand. Sometimes we're doing things and we don't know we're doing things wrong. So the whole idea of number five is to try to find somebody that can help. That, that's the purpose of number five. So let's go back to number five. Number five was الرَّضَاء بِالْقَضَاء وَالْقَدَر To be satisfied with whatever Allah had preordained and whatever has actually taken place. So that's why he says فَكُنْ لَهُ مُسَلِّمًا كَيْ تَسْلَمَ وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ النَّاسِكِينَ الْعُلَمَاءِ So he says فَكُنْ لَهُ مُسَلِّمًا كَيْ تَسْلَمَ Be always a submitter to him. Be always one of those that submits to him so that you can remain safe. Allahu Akbar. So that you can remain safe. Because if you don't submit to him, you can't remain safe because your mind is going to be all over the place. Whenever somebody feels that they've got uh, whenever somebody feels that they've got somebody that's looking after them, then you just feel a lot more confident. Let's put it this way. You've got a car and it has some problem or the other. Even if one light is gone, but you have to drive somewhere. Aren't you going to feel not as confident? Because you feel the police might see it and I'm going to run into trouble. Or the engine may come off. The, you know when you've got less petrol, right? You, get, you, you think, I've done it before. I managed to get 20 miles out of it. The last time it was down to that. But you just don't feel comfortable. When you have a full tank, you don't worry about it, do you? That you're going to run out of it. So when you feel that everything is in order, humans, when they feel everything in order, it just makes them better. Now, I know there's some people who live on the edge all the time. Right? They always last minute. They always push it to the end. Right? Even though they could have filled up, but they actually push it to the end. It's almost like they're testing themselves out. Like, you know, do, can I perform a miracle one day or not? I don't know. Allahu alam. Right? So they live on the edge, but they're not happy. I, I can tell you, when I used to travel before, I used to pack at the last minute. I used to pack at the last minute, leave late, so you're in tension all the way until you actually sit in the plane. That was a long time ago. Since then, what I've done is, I pack in advance. I've got a list, so I pack in advance. 
I try to not go so early. I'm not one of those who get to the airport four hours early. That's just ridiculous, I think, right? Some people, in, you know, anytime you're going with a tour, they always tell you, make sure you come four hours early because obviously they don't want you to miss the flight. But anyway, so you, you, you just, it just feels much more comfortable to do that. So likewise with your Iman, how can you mess around? How can you be on the edge with your Iman? How can we, with our faith, be always on the edge? Just, oh, it's okay. Last minute, last minute, last minute. How can it be the case? When are we going to get comfortable with our faith? Where it's in order, where things are going right, where we're not living on the edge of our faith all the time. Man, I messed up there, man. I messed up again. How many of us are living on the edge of our faith? Right? It's not the best policy. It's too much tension. So that's why Rada bil qada, satisfaction with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely important. So he says, uh, and that's the whole point that when we know that okay whatever's happened we leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was the best thing now inshallah the future will bear better for us now we're going to change our ways I'm no longer going to uh, I, I'm no longer going to um, pack at the last minute and then rush to the airport at the last minute and then be all sweaty and everything and then finally just be able to relax when you go onto the flight because with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we may end up in Jahannam like that man Right? At least here you'll catch your flight. I mean, miracles don't always happen. They happen sometimes. But you can't risk that with the Akhirah. When I went for a tour in South Africa with Channel Islam International, our host was one of the most wonderful people who's the director of Channel Islam. But he, he's the best host I've ever had. Allah bless him abundantly. Ashraf by his name is. It's amazing that the three flights we had to take there, we were always late. But we got the flight somehow. It was a karama. He was expecting to buy new tickets. We to go from Johannesburg to Durban. We got there with like 10 minutes left and he had to go and park the car. So he gave us, he gave us his ID. He said, you check in for me. So we got to the gate and I checked in for him as well. And they let us do that. And then he came and we rushed inside and we managed to make it. When we got to Durban and we had to fly back to Johannesburg and there's a program we have to get to. Again, we're late. It just turned out that way. It wasn't, we, we, I wasn't doing my early, you know, like we're just going to go late. No, this just turns out like that. Maybe for traffic, I can't remember what. It, we got to the airport and the flight was late, alhamdulillah. So it worked out. And then finally we're coming back now to the UK. Now you don't want to miss that one, do you? Ashrabai says, hold on. Right? We got small time left, small amount of time. He says, hold on. He goes to the chicken shop. We... He goes, I'll, I'll be back. We're waiting, we're waiting. And then he comes back with, you know, lunch uh, or dinner for us. Oh. And uh, we got there and uh, they, they're calling our name or something. So we're lucky that we got in there again. And you won't believe it. When he got to, it was on Ittihad, when he got to Emirates, somehow we got late there again. And we were the last people on the flight again. Four flights actually, now that I think about it. But it worked out. I don't do that as a matter of purpose or... I don't do that on purpose, but that just worked out. That was a very barkati uh, you know, journey. But you don't want to mess around like that because if we're doing that, if we're, if, we're, if we're doing that for the Akhirah, where we're just risking it, we might miss the boat already for the Akhirah. So you might be able to miss a, a flight and that's fine because you can buy another flight. Okay, it's going to be very expensive, but you can still get to your destination. Whereas if we miss it for the hereafter, then being in Jahannam for a long time is not the good idea. 
So we need to get our past sorted. We need to be comfortable about our past. What I mean by comfortable is if we've done wrong, then we need to know we've done wrong, but we need to know that we've got, a, we've got an Allah who's Rahim, Rahman, and whatever's happened in the past, okay, it's happened for a purpose. How many people have you seen who've had a bad past? They become good people and then they manage to convince, they manage to convince a lot more people than a good person all his life. I'm not saying that he's a better person than a good person. Because clearly the person who never messed around, right, has got a bit more going for him because he's got no sin. But the person who did sin, who was involved in haram activities, due to that haram experience, he can sometimes speak in a way that helps people who are engaged in that haram. I'm not saying that you do that purposely to get that experience because we may never come out of it. This guy is lucky he's come out of it. You see the difference? Can't say that, oh, just because I need to experience... The, I need to sort out these drug guys, then let me get into drugs and try them out for a while and we may never come out of that. That stuff is bad. All of it is bad. But people who've already been there, then subhanAllah, you know, they shouldn't feel that, oh, that they should make tawbah, they should repent. Now they need to move ahead and not let shaitan overcome them to make them feel that you have no chance. Some, some big names of the past are like that. Some big names of the past are like that. Who've gone down into history and people respect them today. Right? There's one story I can never get over because I read his name when we're reading the books of six, you know, the six collections, major collections, the foundational collections of hadith. When we're reading those books, there's a name that comes whose name is Haddathana Muhammad ibn Ka'nab al-Ka'nabi. Now, forever, until the Day of Judgment, everybody's going to read his name. Muhammad ibn Ka'nab al-Ka'nabi. He's from Basra. But he was a guy who spent his youth in drinking. Right? It mentions in his story that Ibn Qudama has mentioned in Kitab al-Tawwabin that his, he was once waiting around for his friends. And it says in his description that he had red trousers on which is a sign in those days. Nowadays, I think pink trousers, I don't even know how bad they are now. But I mean, in those days, to have a red pair of trousers on meant that you were a bit weird anyway, right? You were like on the wrong side of town. Um, so he's there waiting for his friends. He's invited his friends over. His mom's cooking. And he's got all the drinks there. Now, as he's there, there's a big, there's a big entourage of a big sheikh that's going past, that's coming towards him. And in there was this big hadith scholar who also comes in the, the transmissions of Bukhari, Muslim, etc. Shu'bah ibn al-Hajjaj, who was also originally from Wasit, but then he moved to Basra and he stayed in Basra. One of the big muhaddithin of Basra. So he's like on the third level or fourth level that you have to, his name comes in the transmissions of the hadith that you read today in Bukhari, etc. So he's coming along and he's got people with him. So this person just thinks, who is this guy? He looks kind of interesting. So he goes and he says, who is this? He says, don't you know this is Shu'bah ibn al-Hajjaj, the big muhaddith, the big hadith scholar. So he goes then up to Shu'bah. Right? And just imagine, just some guy of the street and there's some big sheikh coming along, Mufti Taqi Usmani or somebody is coming along. He's like, who is this guy? Everybody's like going after him, making, shaking his hands. So he goes up to him himself and he says, uh, can you relate a hadith to me? Hadithni. Relate a hadith to me. So Shu'ba looks at him and he thinks, you don't look like a student. Like you're telling me to narrate a hadith to you because generally it was students that came and said, can you narrate your hadith to me because we can then be connected via you up to the Prophet 
that I can say I heard this hadith from you, you heard it from your teacher, from your te- from his teacher, from his teacher until the Prophet. So he looks at him and he says, You don't look like a student. So the only language he knew, he pulled out a dagger and he said, uh, pulled out a knife, you know, typical London crime, right? He pulled out a knife and he said, If you don't if you don't relate the hadith to me, I'm gonna stab you. He did he didn't say it in such a polite way, he said it in his gangster style, whatever that was, right? He this hadithni o ajrahuk. That's what he said. Right? So then Shu'ba says, Okay, you know, I'll relate a hadith to you. So the hadith related to him was that the Prophet ﷺ said that if you lose your modesty, your shyness, your chas- your your bashfulness, your modesty in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you'll can do as you wish. Now that penetrates his heart. Right? It was just that moment. He goes back home and uh, he tells his uh, mother that when my friends come, because he couldn't WhatsApp them like, you know, I'm not going to see you anymore. Like, you, you didn't do those things in those days, right? He said, when, when my friends come, feed them. But he took all the drink and he poured it out. And he went to Medina Munawwara. And I think he studied with Imam Malik and he becomes a big muhaddith. So much so that now you have to say his name every time you read the Isnad. Right? That's just amazing, isn't it? And there's so many people like that. Some of the biggest Sufis, some big Sufis of the past were highwaymen. And they suddenly turn around. That's why let not your past spoil your future. Because you don't know what your future is. You only know what your past is. You only know the taqdeer of your past. You don't know it of the future. That's very important. So he says, وَالرَّابِعُ الرِّضَى the fourth principle of the path towards Allah is to be satisfied, which is which is to eventually come out of just being satisfied with your soul to entering into the satisfaction of His Lord. That we must only be satisfied with what Allah wants for us. What does Allah want from us? What does He want from us? How does He want to deal with us? We must have a level of satisfaction. Because if we are so independent and we don't think that anybody else has a right to dictate for us and if something goes slightly wrong in our lives that we start complaining, then we we have not recognized Allah. We haven't understood His power. It's like a guy who goes to work, right? Who He needs the employment. It's not like he doesn't need the job and somebody's forcing him just to take the job or he's like some special consultant, right? That people have to uh, hire and he does uh, as they call dadagiri, right? Like he, he acts, uh, you know, like he's a big consultant and uh, everybody wants him. So he's like, okay, you want me? 100,000, right? And then he goes and has airs about him. No, you need the job, man, right? You can't get in. You go there and then you don't like something, like you start keep complaining. Now one is that maybe you got the right and you got the law on your side and you're living in England so you can sue anybody so then maybe that's the case. I mean, mashallah, these laws are good but sometimes I think they're abused, right? In other countries where there are no laws, you just have to like keep your mouth shut and carry on. Ya Allah, what a ni'mah we have. What a ni'mah we have. Right? So, can you imagine? That's our case with Allah. We need everything from Him and then something doesn't happen right and we start complaining. Whereas we need this job, man. We need this from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need him to be on our side. So we need to be on his side. That's why he said for the person to enter into uh, whatever satisfies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bit taslimi lil ahkam al azaliyah. 
by fully submitting to the eternal commands. Eternal commands, meaning whatever Allah has decreed to realize that only that is going to happen. Which means we try because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But then if it doesn't work out the way that I wanted it, then I'm not going to cry about it. So if I didn't marry the one I was supposed to marry, I did Alhamdulillah, but I'm just saying if somebody doesn't marry who they think they should and they lose them, they shouldn't be crying about that. If you don't get the job that you really wanted, but then you got another job, inshallah, maybe you'll find out in five years that that was the better deal. But right now we're angry about it. So he's saying, no, ridha bil qada. And once you can do this, then you know, it just makes matters so much easier because you have something to fall back on. You might get flustered a bit in the beginning, but then you start thinking, well, you know what, Allah. If you, you know, people get depressed because of this. People are depressed because of this, because they have nothing to fall back on. And they see this as the biggest loss because this is everything for them. This is not everything. There's people who had to leave a certain country, like Indian Pakistanis who were living in one of the countries of Africa, right? And you know, there's several countries in Africa where regime changed overnight, and then literally people had to just escape with whatever they could carry. And they had a lot of money there. It's been 30, 40 years, and they're still crying over it. Now, had they not cried and they just worked hard, they, Allah could have given them something back because Allah is always with those whose hearts are broken. But if you're going to keep crying over the past, it's just a life. Everything dies in this world. That's why we read, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajin. That's one of our athkar. That wherefore Allah to Him we're going to return. Because everything perishes. There's nothing in this world. That's why you have to, that's why they sell you new phones every two years because your phone has to be updated because it gets, you know, if nothing else, at least the battery starts diminishing faster. Right? That's the world. We're the same. And the quicker we can understand that, the more satisfied with life we will be. Which is amazing, isn't it? The better we can deal with our losses, the more satisfied we'll be with life. And if you're more satisfied with life, you'll get more out of it. The more focused on losses we are, the more they pull us back. We, I mean, those people who lost all those things is bad, but the, just imagine if they didn't have it in the first place can just think like that, okay, it's as if I didn't have it in the beginning. That's a good policy. Of course, we learn lessons, but we don't cry. And then, for a person to consign the matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all other future planning. You plan, but then you consign the matter to Allah. You have to plan, don't get me wrong. You can't just sit back and expect it all to happen. You have to plan, you have to make an effort, you have to work hard as part of your plan. You can ask others for help, you can consult with others, you can do whatever you have to do as you would do in this world, but always be remembering that behind is Allah and that Allah has a plan as well. Bila i'radin wala i'tiradin. Wonderful expression. Without ignoring Allah and without complaining and objecting to Allah. We need to be in between the two. Neither are we ignoring Allah that, you know, we don't even consider Him. We're just doing whatever we think we can do in our, with our independence. And neither are we thinking Allah is part of it, but in the wrong way. You see, some people who do think about Allah when they do things, 
the problem is that because they haven't recognized Allah properly, they start objecting to Allah. Which is worse, the one who thinks Allah is there but who objects to Him, or the one who just ignores Him completely? Is that even a question? Right? It's just they're both bad. So there's no point, like, let's, let's not be any of them. So, bila i'radin wala i'tiradin. Without ignoring Allah and being heedless of Him completely and also not objecting to Him. So be, O seeker of the satisfaction of his Lord, be, to, be for Allah in submission, or be in submission to Allah in everything that he has predestined and decreed for you, or that which he has commanded for you to do of the laws of the deen. Oh, that was such a wonderful deal I could have got, but it was Jumu'ah time. There was a really, I lost the bid on eBay, right? Because it was, it was finishing at Jumu'ah time. So I put my highest bid in, but somebody outbid me. But had I been there, I could have maybe, you know, subhanAllah, you missed it because of Jumu'ah. Did you miss? Should you have missed Jumu'ah instead and got the deal? That's where you have to be that, okay. Because I, I think, I'm sure I've lost things because I've had to teach or, you know, I've had to go for Salat or you've lost things. But uh, I'm not saying that you go late to the airport and then you have to pray, so your prayers will miss the flight. That's just stupidity, because that's bad planning. But the other one is where it would just happen to be at Salat time, you couldn't get it. But, you know, the Salat obviously gives us much more. And you know, we're not even comparing rewards here. What we're saying is that because of me praying Salat, I missed that deal. Right, or because somebody was out in Fisabilillah in Tablighah, or he was in Hajj, there was some a house that he was looking for and he lost, and somebody else took it. Oh man, had you been here, there was such a wonderful house, but it was just snapped up. I was in Hajj. Did you really lose that? Were you really gonna get that? Is the question. You were in Hajj, man. You were getting so much more out there. And Allah will give you something better. This wasn't for you. Yes, it was a good deal. And it was exactly your friends told you, your brother told you, or somebody told you that it was exactly what you're looking for. Now that you feel gutted, don't you? When you, when, when, when you see a deal that's gone. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed that if you're the careful type, not the guy who, uh, not the person who's an early adopter, just something comes out, you start buying it straight away. You're a person who lets it. So for example, if you're buying a house, you don't just buy the first house you see or the car, you don't. But generally, when you don't know the prices of things, sometimes the first thing you see is the best deal. But you're cautious, so you don't buy it. And then you can never find the same thing again. Have you ever experienced that before? Right? I remember I was looking for a particular car. Uh, I think, Ismail, you sent me that. Um, but it was a bit far. It was in another city. It was a very good deal. But I was like, I'm not sure. Is it really worth going there? Because I didn't really see other prices. I just started looking. And I lost it. Then I had to wait for about six months to find another good deal. But that was the way it was supposed to be. How much, how much am I going to cry about that? Oh man, that was such a good car. You should have got that. Man. Every day like, you should have got that. I should have got that. How much are you going to beat yourself up for that kind of a thing? But you see, we, 
one is that okay forget about crying over it the other one is it wasn't to be because Allah didn't want me to have it that's a higher level to think at that's how Allah can make us much more satisfied if we remember him at those moments so then he says yes so that you be in submission to him for everything that he has preordained and decreed and everything <clears throat> that he has commanded of the ahkamud dunya or anything that he's prohibited from right that was a really good deal everybody made so much money but you know what mufti so and so said it's haram like these muftis man what's wrong with them some say it's halal some say it's haram what's wrong with them can't they agree on something man muslims are going to get left behind Look at all of these others, they, they, they're doing this deal and they're making big bucks out of this. The Muslims are going to get left behind. We need to do this. You see what I'm saying? The, the, these are the parts where the decree comes in. And seriously, you do feel at loss sometimes. When you see some other people, right? Whether that be people outside your family, outside your religion, outside your community. Uh, people, as I said, they've made more money than us. Or they have more property than us. Oh, this guy owns all of these, right? Everything you can see, he owns it. And we don't own anything. Right? Oh, we do own, but we don't own as much as them. We do own, you know, we don't own as much as them. It just makes you feel bad, doesn't it? But then we don't think, what else do I have that they don't have? And I've got Allah, especially when it's, you know, somebody who believes and somebody who doesn't believe, then there's no comparison there. Doesn't mean we have to be stupid about it, or lazy, but at the end of the day, if it is because something was haram, and that's why we didn't get it. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money because they did haram business. Their money, their original seed capital, or their original investments were all haram. And today they're sitting on that. They may have made tawbah now, but should I feel bad because of that? If my dad didn't do that, and somebody else did that, should I feel bad? Why didn't my dad also buy 10 houses on mortgage? Because my dad never did that. So should I feel bad about that? Shaitan will make me feel bad about it. Today I wouldn't have had to work hard to get a house because my dad would have already had a house for me. Right? I wouldn't have had to worry about buying it. You see, can you see the feeling? I mean, these are ways that Shaitan attacks us. And Allah wants us to be content in this world. And the only way to be content is with Allah. Right? So yes, my dad, may Allah bless him that he protected him. Right? from doing all of that weird stuff and he focused on us having the deen right that that was good i'm 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 not uh, uh, alhamdulillah in that sense i don't feel bad at all i i we, i meet some very wealthy people very influential people and had i done a different thing i could have been there but i'm very satisfied as where i am but so i just i just pray to allah that allah help, uh, allah accepts and don't make let us mess up that's that's the most important thing so Yes, if we've made mistakes in the past, then we need to just learn from those mistakes and not make the same. But otherwise, we have so much to thank Allah for that. It's just... Um, okay, so then he says, uh, so, so never feel bad if you've lost something because there was some haram element in it. Never, never. That's just, that shouldn't even apply. Because it wasn't something you should be doing in the first place. Right? Yes, they may have more money, may have more influence, but that, that's not the way to do it. It's not through haram. That you are satisfied, uh, you are satisfied with all of this without any kind of objection or without any kind of uh, neg negligence or objection. 
And the benefit he's saying, I mean, he's saying, he's saying the benefit of this is so that you remain safe and sound both from the calamities of this world and the calamities of the hereafter. Tell me out of this, what would be the calamities of the world that you would be staying safe from if you always consign your matters to Allah? What are we avoiding there? What are we staying safe from? We're staying safe from greed. We're staying safe from a feeling of uh, inferiority. We are staying safe from wasting time, haram business possibly, haram aspects, maybe missing things, that, uh, obligations that we're supposed to do. But uh, uh, I think right at the bottom of it, we are satisfied with ourselves with, because of Allah. We don't feel depressed. I don't mean the clinical depression. That's a different issue, right? I mean, um, you feel this anguish that doesn't leave you, right? And then, of course, in the hereafter, then there's, mashallah, lots of places, lots of bounties, and lots of calamities to avoid. In, of the hereafter, that's quite clear anyway. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, for the blessing. Um, number number six uh, sorry number five now is now that we understand all of this and we understand the importance of this he's saying that the fifth principle he actually puts this as a principle of the path and if you want to leave allah if you if you want to reach allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and leave the dunya then he says ittiba'ul murshid al-kamil so al-khamis ittiba'u shaykhin arifin qad salaka qad salaka tariqa ahlillahi wa ala يَدِي شَيْخٍ كَذَارِكَ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْتَهِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ He says basically you're going to have to find somebody <coughs> who recognizes this path, who's, know, who's, uh, who's gained knowledge and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has, who has trodden the path of the people of Allah himself also under the tutelage of somebody else and likewise him to someone else him to someone else until they get to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so we're we're speaking about a blessed chain we're not speaking about the new kid on the block somebody who comes randomly studies here and there starts to criticize everybody all of the organized and the, the, the traditionally established masajid and organizations, right? Okay, they've got weakness with them, right? Everybody has weakness. So these, the established ways of doing things, the established madaris, the established masajid, the established, they've got weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses. You haven't proven anything yet. This new kid on the block hasn't proven anything yet. He hasn't shown anything yet. But he does know how to criticize and he knows how to write. So he criticizes for what? Why don't you first develop a stream or a series of alternatives and then criticize? Then maybe we can see what's better. You're speaking with no experience. It's easy to criticize. And then because they're quite savvy in the way they discuss things. And, you know, I think this is a temperament thing. Some people are just naturally inclined towards radical 
individuals because they themselves just want to be different. Initially they were different because they want to be different from their community. So that's why they may have gone in, into the wrong things. Now they've made tawbah from that. Shaitan is just giving them another fish to hook in the wrong way. Allah protect us from this. Because if you've got a radical bent, it could be very positive in the sense that you will actually see things that others don't. If Allah guides you, you'll be able to fill in gaps that, needed, that need to be fulfilled. But if Allah doesn't guide and you're not looking for guidance, you're just looking for fame and gain, then you will be radical. You will start something new or you will take the newest idea on the block and you will get messed up. Just remember, that's what it is. Some of us are just prone to, that, uh, to, to take the weird things. Because maybe we had an exp uh, some bad experience with the status quo because of one individual. We're just going to discount the whole thing. It's just quite normal. That's why I understand this. This is very important to understand. And I'm saying this after years and years of observing this stuff and maybe being part of some of this myself and being burnt. You know, and <clears throat> Alhamdulillah, Allah, I, I pray Allah is protected. Right? And Allah protects us. But that's why you have to be very careful about just new people who claim things. Right? Because where did they get it from? You think, if somebody comes today and tells me that for a thousand years, and there was a claim like that, not for a thousand, about twelve hundred years, some of the main terms of Islam, some of the main religious terms of Islam were misunderstood by about twelve years of Islamic scholarship and common people. And now I'm going to tell you what they really are, the way they were in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And twelve hundred years they've been lost, so I'm the next prophet on the block. You might as well say you're the next prophet, right? If you're going to claim something like that for twelve hundred years or eleven hundred years. Nobody knew these most important terms of Islam that our deen is based on. Somebody actually made that claim. Can you believe it? Right? It just sounds upset. But for some people, wow, man, this guy knows his stuff. He's the next best thing out there. There's a lot of reasons why people get attached to people. A lot of different reasons. If it's not for the right reason, and if the right things are not underlying it, it's a massive, massive form of deception. Because shaitan's always there to mislead. And I think everybody's trying to be the interpreter for, <clears throat> for the Salaf nowadays, aren't they? <clears throat> I give you the best interpretation or the best representation of what the Sahaba did or what the earliest generation did. That's where the fight is. That's where all the argument is. Like everybody's claiming that they've got the best representation of that. The way I look at it is for me it's quite simple. Right? It's quite simple. I know it's confusing, but it's really quite simple. Why is it quite simple? Just look at right, just look at chains of transmission. Just look at traditions that have gone up. Yes, there will be weaknesses in many of these. I'm I'm not saying they're the perfect thing, no. Right, because we have weakness. The further we go away from Rasulullah, we're going to be more we weaker. Right, we're going to have weaknesses, but that doesn't mean that you need to totally do away with this system. Take the best from it, and even among them, there will be some that will be better than others. You just have to find the better ones. That's all. Just because you've had a bad experience with a weak link, doesn't mean it's all bad. Doesn't mean you have to do something else. I don't want to take names and things like that because I want this to be generic so that we can understand. I don't want to limit it to something.
but I hope you can interpret this in your whatever challenges everybody's having or, or have had that you can interpret this for yourself just so that we are clearer in what we do and we don't get misled in life you have to be very careful you have to be very careful because it's one life that we have right in this world and it governs the next life so that's what he says he says uh, <clears throat> to follow a shaykh who is a knower of Allah who has followed the path of who has who has traversed the path of the Ahlullah at the hands of another shaykh similar to him right or similar in that similar characteristic who has done so likewise on another shaykh until they went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so whoever does not follow a shaykh who can help indicate to him the path towards Allah and he remains in he thinks he's independent uh, because of the worship that he has and the knowledge that he has then he has then put himself forward for shaitan to deceive him it's a very controversial statement this is that's why it has been said that who has the one who has no shaykh then shaitan is a shaykh now remember this is not an absolute statement there are people who didn't have a formal shaykh but they shaitan was not their shaykh but I, I need to put this in perspective because there's no aside from the Quran even the even the Quran Sunnah you can interpret there are interpretations they're not always absolute statements so how can this statement be absolute right that you can just apply it indiscriminately what this means um, is that generally speaking and I keep mentioning this for the majority of people if they don't have supervision or somebody to look up to and to bounce ideas off and make mashwara with and maybe even tell them off you know to ask for reproach when it's necessary then it's much easier for such a person to misunderstand something and do something that will end up being haram or wrong or degenerated I'll tell you this from my own experience if I didn't have a tradition that I was in a living tradition and living elders that my teachers that I can bounce ideas of and go back to and get advice from then I have been in various different positions and uh, circumstances you know having uh, been uh, lived in different countries having been an imam in different countries and the pressures that people want you know want you to change and do this that and the other it was so easy just to bow to pressure it is just so easy to bow to pressure because that's what 10 people are telling you, right? So let me just change it. Let me just do it this way. But there's a clear haram that's taking place or at least a massive doubtful act. But, you know, 10 people are telling me. It's so easy to bow to that pressure and say, okay, forget all of that. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that I have studied with may agree with everything that I say because I'm, you know, some of my teachers are in other countries and there's a different reality. But for the most part, they would agree in principle, inshallah. Well, I hope so. Because I wouldn't like to be independent of them. Because I would feel like a lost sheep. Seriously. Because it's dangerous out there. You see things and the pressure on you and then there's shaitan and everything. And you can't trust yourself. Nobody's guaranteed until they die. 
And then, you know what scares you is that you see so-called big influential names and people who do fall. So then you think, I'm, never, I'm not even anything like them, I could fall. Right? If big people can fall, big names can fall and they can make big mistakes and the whole world or, or part of the world finds out, why can't I fall? They're human beings, I'm a human being as well. What's so special about me that I can't fall? Right? I'm not ma'asum, I'm not a prophet. Only prophets are ma'asum and specially protected. I'm, I don't have that. Can you see the benefit of being under supervision? It's just a logical conclusion, there's no doubt about it. But that doesn't mean that anybody who doesn't have a shaykh, I'm going to call him a shaitan, I'm not going to do that. Because <clears throat> I, have some, I have seen some people who, when I say, you know, uh, this is probably talking about somebody who just does everything himself and just doesn't bother with any, any tradition or anything, he wants to think for himself. Because at the end of the day, the world is quite a generic place and ideas are quite generic and there is an accepted substratum of beliefs that have come down. Right? Clearly, there is an accepted substratum of beliefs and ideas and ideologies which have been passed down for centuries. Who are you that you can come and produce some absolutely fresh ideas for humanity that they've never heard before? Nobody can do that. You can make a new technology, you can, you can invent something new, that's different though. But human ideology, philosophy, I don't think there's anything new. Generically. You can refine something, but you can't make up something new. So that's why it's best to be in a tradition that has proven itself. Find a tradition that has proven, that has a track record, right, of producing good people and being influenced. That's what we need to do. Uh, new traditions that have just come out, they could be good, but we're not going to know until about a hundred years. They may look good right now, but when you read history, there have been many traditions that have come and gone. Many, many. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance because I think ultimately we have to ask Allah for guidance. Oh Allah, show me the truth as the truth and allow me to follow it and show me the wrong as the wrong and allow me to abstain from it. So we ask Allah for tawfiq because this world is a challenge. This world can be a very, very, very difficult and a dirty world. And of course, the more you want to uh, be an achiever, the more difficult it gets, right? But we all have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one day. So we ask Allah for tawfiq and, and, and guidance. And we ask Allah to protect us from criticizing the wrong things and just uh, basically uh, running with the wrong ideas. اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم والله we ask for your mercy والله we ask for your forgiveness والله we ask for your guidance والله show us the truth and allow us to follow it والله show us the wrong as wrong and allow us to abstain from it والله strengthen us والله strengthen our hearts والله grant us love for you O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your love. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those things which, are, which you are satisfied with. O oh Allah, we ask that you give us good company. O oh Allah, that you give us halal only. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our sins. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our wrongdoings. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our defects, our shortcomings. O oh Allah, 
forgive us all of those wrongs that we have done, whether we remember them or we've forgotten them. Oh Allah, those that we continue to do, oh Allah, allow us to stop from doing them. Oh Allah, especially allow us to see the wrongs that we're doing, even if we don't think they're wrong. Oh Allah, there may be some wrongs that we're doing which which we don't realize that they're wrong because we become so accustomed to them. Oh Allah, what a crime this is in your sight. And oh Allah, shaitan has misled us and made it part and parcel and we've made it part and parcel of our life. Oh Allah, allow us to weed these things out. Oh Allah, before it's too late, allow us to change and allow us to submit and allow us to prepare for our death. Allow us to be not of those who those who risk everything and who live on the edge. O oh Allah, with terms of our deen, make us completely comfortable. O oh Allah, make us completely comfortable and confident with regards of Grant us yaqeen. O oh Allah, grant us conviction in our heart so that we're proud of our faith. O oh Allah, do not let us become doubtful and depressed over small, small issues or any issues. O oh Allah, you're always there, but oh Allah, for us sometimes we don't think of you. We're negligent. Oh Allah, do not allow us to be negligent. Forgive us our negligence and for, forgive us for any objections that we may have shown. Oh Allah, we are in need of you. We have nobody but you. Oh Allah, we are in need of you. We have nobody but you. How can we object to you? Yet due to our weaknesses and our Ignorant. Sometimes we may say things or do things or express things which, which are totally inappropriate. Oh Allah, forgive us for this. Oh Allah, if you forgive us, then we benefit from this. Oh Allah, make it easy for us to be obedient to you. Oh Allah, make your love, make your obedience beloved in our heart. And oh Allah, make your disobedience hated in our heart. Oh Allah, grant us barakah and blessing in what you have given us. And O oh Allah, allow us to always find good company in this world. O oh Allah, allow us to reach you. And allow us to allow us to reach you. O oh Allah, grant us your love. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love benefits us in your court. And O oh Allah, make the later later part of our life better than the previous part of our life. And O oh Allah, make the best of moments the moment that we stand in front of you. And O oh Allah, grant us Jannatul Firdaus. O oh Allah, protect us and our assets. And O oh Allah, our children, our progeny, and all the Muslimin around the world, and bring back humanity back into the human being. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask that you grant your abundant blessings on our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifuna wa salamun al mursaleen walhamdulillah.